happy Monday, church family. Um, we are now entering Exodus chapter 3. This is a very famous passage in this entire book because if you if you have your Bibles and you know there's a little title on top, it's it's the burning bush. It's the story of the burning bush. It's the one that confuses most non-believers and I'm sure it was confusing Moses when it was happening, but it is a important event because this is God revealing himself to um, to Moses, and this is really the call by which he tells Moses that, like, okay, he's going to use Moses to free uh, his people. And you know, one thing about this book is that it really shows you that God does whatever he wants, and he and whatever he does, whatever he chooses to do in all of history, it is completely consistent with his character. Uh, nothing that he does contradicts his nature. Nothing that he does goes against any of his attributes. Uh, although we may think, hey, how is, can that be? Um, we'll just, we just understand that God doesn't contradict himself. He is holy, and whatever he does, um, it's, for his, it's, it's, it's going to prove that he is God. And that's what this whole book really is about, that God is going to choose who he's going to choose. He's going to save who he wants to save. But ultimately, these things are all fulfillment um, in, in, in alignment, in accordance to his uh, sovereign decree. And he does whatever he wants. And for us as Christians, when we understand that reality, that should give us hope. It should give us assurance that, hey, if we worship this God, Whatever he does in our life, it is ultimately for our good and is for his glory. It may draw ultimately to him more. Um, again, this book, the book of Exodus, this seems um, this book uh, seems difficult uh, to make out at times because it, it seems like all this stuff is just happening. But when we look at the whole narrative of Scripture, we see that it is true that everything is according to God's plan. Uh, and when we see that, as we go through each of these chapters, it shows us who he is, and ultimately it shows uh, us why we can trust in this God, which is actually why the Torah was written to the Israelites. The Torah was written to the Israelites was, was with the specific purpose that they can trust the God that they're going to go into. Moses wrote this before the Israelites went to the Promised Land as a way for them to like, read this and to look back and trust in the goodness of God. Um, the, the book of Exodus is often described as the gospel of the Old Testament because every generation after uh, you know, Joshua and Moses and everyone after always make reference to this book about how God saves, uh, saved them, how he delivered them from Egypt, and in their folly they choose, to, they choose sin uh, over the Lord. But yet we know at the end, God does whatever he pleases. Psalm chapter 115, verse 3, it reads, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, it reads, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep. He causes the vapor to send from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. This again shows you and all of us and reminds us that God does whatever he wants. One more cross-reference here. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. 
reads, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasures. Now, knowing, just hearing these verses and even the way that introduced God uh, so far, does it make you feel secure knowing that this is a God that's in control of all reality? Do you find assurance in this God? Uh, the Jews needed this book, and he need, they needed to know this aspect of God at then, just as much as we need to remember about this aspect of God today. We need to remember and know that God is God, that he is all-powerful, and that he is in control of everything. The world will not make much sense, and situations in life may not make sense at all, but we aren't commanded to discern the details of the events in life, but rather we're called to trust in the God of all the little details. So I've been trying to switch up and try to figure out a nice rhythm for me to teach these, but uh, usually I kind of go through the entire chapter and then throughout the week I kind of give points. But I've, I've, I've figured for, the, for this week, because of this famous chapter, I'm just going to give the point first and I'm just going to walk over part of the text. So I'm not going to go through the entire chapter. Uh, but these are just all things that we need to remember about the Lord and how he sovereignly uses events and people to do exactly what he wants. So that's the first point we're going to look at is that God's um, announcement of his redemptive plan. God's announcement of his redemptive plan. Verse 1 to 9. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, in this chapter, this begins, actually, this is years later from the past. Like, um, Moses was around 40 years old when he left uh, Egypt, and then he was out in the wilderness for 40 years, or, or and out here, out of Egypt for 40 years, and then he's around 80 years old when he's commanded by the Lord, when he's summoned here. So, it's unfortunate sometimes that we miss these little details um, because we just think like, oh, from end of chapter 2 to beginning of verse 3, it's just like a matter of seconds. But really, this is like a long time in our perspective. To put things in perspective, 40 years, that's 10 election cycles. So, you know, if you think that, uh, you know, God is slow to fulfill his promise, he's not. He knows exactly when he's going to do this. And also, remember, as all of this is happening, as all this time passed, the Jews in Egypt are being persecuted. In fact, they've been persecuted in, in, for 400 years. Um, and this is also part of God's plan. I think sometimes when we look at this particular section here, especially when we go to the burning bush, we think that the miracle itself was actually the burning bush, and that how there's this fire that's consuming, and then... Um, that you know that it doesn't burn, and then the God is speaking through the flames. I'll, I'll explain more in a sec. But let's go to verse two. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, "I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up." When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, "Moses, Moses," and he said, "Here I am." In the Jewish custom, when you say someone's name twice, um, it's actually an expression of endearment. Um, 
I do think it's funny that in Scripture, though, in the question of the Old Testament, whenever a male is being addressed, it's usually like you see the name twice. When it's a female, it's just once. Um, that's also a lesson for you ladies for uh, when you talk to like your husbands. Understand, you need to call them twice before they hear you. That's just the part of the fall. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, God calls him with this expression of endearment. And uh, verse 5, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And what you notice here in verse 6 is how often he talks about how he's a God of uh, you know, his ancestors, and God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And this is intended to show that there's a connection between him and all the covenant that's come in the past. Um, like I said earlier, all of this stuff is happening because God designed it. Um, you might not, you don't need to turn there exactly, but I can read it to you. In Genesis 15, this is a familiar passage for us. Uh, this is where we call the Abrahamic covenant, or where Abraham was promised a son. In Genesis 15, verse 13, it reads this, God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I also judge a nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And, okay, this is important because um, this is, how, this is you know, God speaking to Abram. Actually, it's not even Abraham here. He's still Abram here. So Abram was like 100 years old. He doesn't even have a kid. He's telling them, somewhere down the line, your, your descendants is going to go into this land for 400 years. Even later on, he said that they'll leave with many possessions. Uh, that's like, that will come up late at the end of the chapter. But it's important to understand that God is sovereign over this. Why were the uh, Israelites in Egypt for 400 years and being enslaved? Because that was part of God's sovereign plan. Uh, God allowed it to happen. In fact, if the Israelites went into Egypt and they did not suffer, you could say that God is a liar. But the fact that God let uh, the Jewish people into Egypt and they were enslaved for 400 years, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is what was supposed to happen. Um, and you have to understand, this is all part of God's plan and what He and what God promised is going to come true. And you know, there are things that the scripture tells us that is going to come true. Jesus said that persecution will come for those that will follow him. Now, our suffering may not seem like it's part of God's plan, but it is indeed part of God's plan. Um, 1 Peter 3.8, it's a reminder of uh, God's timing of everything that goes on. 1 Peter 3.8, reads, uh, sorry, 2 Peter, 2 Peter uh, 3.8 tells us that, who do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any uh, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Part of God's plan, if you understand and you truly trust the scriptures, the way that the Israel are commanded to believe in the Lord here in the book of Exodus, is to know that God is sovereignly in control of everything, even their suffering, even the things that are very difficult in their life, God is in control of that. And this is particularly 
significant for us because when we look at just like the news and seeing like oh all of these political things going on and the implication they have on the christian understand this is all part of god's divine plan and yeah christians are called to suffer this should not be a surprise to christians but if we're called to suffer we need to understand that it is a privilege uh, this is all part of his sovereign plan ultimately uh, we know as Christians that we um, we get to be in heaven. Uh, that's the end game for us. In the meantime, it may be difficult for us, but we need to trust in every word that Scripture tells us because it gives us exactly what we need, not only to live like life of godliness, but gives us security and hope um, to know that this suffering that we have is just it's just it's fleeting. It's just it's just a it's just a little breath. It just comes and go in light of eternity. And look, going back to the book of Exodus, remember these Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. So some of the people that first got in there till the end, they didn't make it to the end. They didn't see how God was going to deliver them. They didn't see this promise that that was made, um, you know, back in Genesis 15. And remember, Genesis 15 to Exodus, that's you know, hundreds of years. Um, uh, it was hundreds of years before they even got into Egypt and a hundred years after they get to Egypt that everything was uh, completely fulfilled. So this is like God stringing, you know, everything in history to ultimately play about um, what is needed to fulfill his plan. And what is God's plan in this? Well, God's plan in this is to try to get the Israelites out willingly, that they want to leave so that uh, they can look forward to something better, and that is the promised land. And I can't help but wonder if that's why the Lord's allowing Christians to suffer more in this in the United States now, or or we feel like there's more censorship, or we feel like there's persecution, is to ultimately point us to not desire the things of this world, to not desire America, but to desire the kingdom that we belong to, the one where Jesus reigns. Um, you know, we know that He's going to reign here on earth somewhere down the line. Uh, but you know, we need we don't need to look forward to anything in this world. We just look, need to look forward to the kingdom that is to come. Our citizenship is not here on earth, but it is that of heaven. I forgot when, uh, but at one point when I was, um, I traveled somewhere with my family, and I remember watching the news, and it was like some sort of election for some other country. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't even paying, it was like a different language, I just saw people bickering all over the news. And then when I was watching the news, the only thought that came to my mind is that I really don't care. Like, it doesn't impact me, I don't live here, this is not my home, I'm going to go home, uh, America is my home, so I'm going to go back there. But in, you know, in a much more grander sense, we have to understand that as much as the stuff that's going on here, yes, we want to be faithful stewards and be a good citizen, but you know, we shouldn't really care that much. Because at the end of eternity, in the end of time, we get to be with the Lord, and the stuff that happens here is just so trivial, and it just flees, and just it just passes, um, it just goes away. Um, so I think that's what uh, that's what the Lord ultimately allows trials in our life to to make us seek um, heaven, to make us look forward to the future, much like here in the in the beginning of chapter three, um, that the Lord uses this situation in hopes to draw people out of Egypt. Um, I'll read this, uh, and we can close. Um, verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given me to their cry because of their taskmaster, for I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good spacious land 
to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Again, this is something that is a magnificent thing about the Lord is that he actually does care for his people. Um, we, for again, for 400 years, it may seem like God is not doing anything, but he's orchestrating everything that's needed so that his plan will be fulfilled, so that people would want to leave. And again, if you look at your str struggles in life now, especially as a nation as a whole, you should make you want to leave, not like leave a U.S., but leave like, and be part of a greater kingdom, an eternal kingdom. That's it for today. Uh, that's our first lesson, that God's announcement of his redemptive plan. On Wednesday, we'll look at how God appoints his person or people to serve his, to fulfill his divine plan. Thank you for listening. See you all on Wednesday.